Hello. Yo. Can all uh, hear us? Hello, we're back. Hi. Sorry about that. Took a bit longer of a break than usual. Um, we're all hot. <laughs> it's very hot. Um, Man's not hot. Man's not hot. This yes. is why I'm hot. <laughs> um, but yo, um, welcome, uh, everybody, and welcome, uh, Hexadecimate. Is that what we should call you? That's whatever. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on and, and hanging out with us during the new segment as well. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. This is super, I'm super excited. I've been <laughs> excited for a long time. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I've been excited to have you. You do a lot of really cool stuff. I think we should, uh, for the sake of time, just get right into it. Um, do you want to just, I guess, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I started my career in 2010. I've been doing government stuff for like uh, seven seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, then got out of government and I've been doing startup stuff ever since then. So that's like my day job, which uh, uh, day jobs are day jobs. I'm having fun with Dragos right now, which is great. Um, most of what I enjoy talking about and doing is in uh, in my side projects. I do I like talking about ICS stuff too, which is what I do with my um, my actually my actual paying gig. Um, but uh, yeah, this the side project that you all asked me to come on and talk to today about was um, the hacking history project, which is kind of what I've been spending most of my time on lately. It's not as technical as I'm usually used to doing, but it's. Uh, it's been kind of a nice diversion from technical stuff. That's awesome. So I guess before we get into that aspect of it, do you want to tell us a little bit about like how you got involved in doing, you know, computer and hacking related things? Um, yeah. I, well, so the the story I usually tell is that I was a, I was going to school to to be a historian, um, in college, and then there was like this one specific time where I realized. That I really wanted to be more a part of history than talk about it all the time, but mm-hmm. I still had that that interest in in history had never left me. So then, like you know, I fast forward to ten years later, and I'm 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 like out of college and doing hacky stuff, and um, and then I just kind of like decided to to start doing FOIA related work about uh, eight or nine months ago, I guess. Um, and it's like FOIA work is like full contact history. It's mm-hmm. there's like a there's a place where history and journalism really overlap, and that's where FOIA work is, because you're finding a lot of stuff that the government hasn't really wanted to talk about for a long time, and you're digging it up to put the pieces together so that the the story of how we got here is much more clear than it was before you did that. So that's that's where the that's the the uh, confluence of these interests and how it all comes together. That's awesome. So, uh, for people who are listening here and for our knowledge as well, um, do you want to get a little bit into what FOIA actually is and why it's important? Yeah. So the government um, established this thing called the Freedom of Information Act, and it's um, it's uh, it's it's kind of an honors. It's well, it's very much an honor system uh, type of um, operation that the government does. So every agency is uh, obligated to be responsive to FOIAs in some way, shape, or form. So you can submit a question of 
about anything to anybody in the United States at the federal level. And every municipality has also got like a similar Freedom of Information Act type of uh, legislation that they usually have to adhere to as well. So um, you can submit a question to, to any uh, federal or local and state level um, law enforcement agency, for instance, about any anything that you think that they might have, and they are obligated legally to give you a response of some kind. Um, there, there, it gets more complicated than that when you actually start dealing with like um, national security, and there are all kinds of different exemptions that uh, that can come into play when, especially around national security, but. Um, th this is this is the thing that I think is really relevant to the hacking community, um, the the infosec community in general, really, because uh, our our history is being held in these institutions. Because, like, let's be honest, we've all done shadyish stuff or been involved in something that's been kind of shady, and we're all interested because we're all like secretly voyeurs. So, uh, or at least maybe I'm just displaying my own. Maybe I'm. Yeah, I don't know my hand too much. <laughs> new concept to me, so go on. So, like so you know, the, so you you leverage FOIA to ask these questions of of federal institutions to find out what they know about about you or about anything that you're interested in. I mean, Thug Crowd had never been in anything shady, so they'd have nothing for us. No, no, no. I know you guys. You you're you're clean. <laughs> That doesn't mean that people might not have thought otherwise, though, I guess is the point, right? <laughs> Perfectly legitimate business people. Look the other way. <clears throat> trustworthy, shout out to Trustworthy Services, LLC. Perception um, is everything. That's very true. We even have a green lock on our website. <laughs> um, so, I guess, so when you're talking about making these requests and saying that they're legally, I guess, obligated or obligated in general under the Freedom of Information Act to give you info, um, when you're doing something like this, what goes into making a request and how do you make a request uh, a good one? A lot of reading. Um, that's the sad part. A lot of reading. Uh, so there, there's a site that we primarily work with, and I guess I'll give them a plug because they've been really helpful to us. It's uh, muckrock.com. Um, and I, I recommend the site. It's a nonprofit organization, but I recommend the site because it's like, it makes, it takes all of the, the guesswork out of doing FOIA and makes it really accessible to anybody who's interested in this kind of thing. So um, right now, if you, if you go to that site, you don't need to use Muckrock, by the way, you can, you can send a, a, a request directly to an, an agency and they, um, they will respond to you in some way, shape or form, as long as you follow their rules. Um, so uh, what goes into making a FOIA? Well, I mean, you first start, it starts with the question. So what is it that you're interested in knowing? Um, is there, is there a specific like uh, piece of history that you're interested in? in my case, I'm interested in, you know, infosec related stuff. So I've, I've gone through and looked at like decades old um, news stories about hacks that were done in the, in the eighties and nineties, because that's like, we can talk more about the, the kind of like FOIA sweet spot. Uh, that's my terminology. Um, but you know, older cases that the government may be interested in releasing after they've have had their mitts on it for decades. Um, so you ask a question, you determine who would be the best agency to ask that question to, 
you send it to them and uh, and then you hope and pray that they'll get back to you in their legal obligation, which they normally don't. Hmm. Interesting, they normally don't. I mean, uh, it's not surprising, but uh, legal obligation kind of means they're, they're supposed to, right? Well, it, so I said it was honor system. It's definitely an honor system. Um, the, the, the amount of time that they are obligated to respond to you, um, doesn't usually get followed, at least in my experience. Now, NASA has been awesome and the ones that are really good, everybody in the, there is a, a community of people who does freedom of information act requests all the time. They know who the good ones are because they get back to you like right away. But it is there, there's not really an enforcement mechanism that, that makes them adhere to a specific time frame. Interesting. Um, so what is the goal of your project? Do you want to kind of describe a little bit about, you know, what the project is, uh, how you are, you know, what the goal is and how you are going about achieving that? Yeah. Um, so my, my personal goal has just been to like, I, we all, we all have heroes, uh, that, that go back you know, decades. I mean, there's there's all kinds of people who came before us in this community and found all kinds of really interesting and cool things. The thing is that they all have a story, and um, each one of those people has, you know, probably had some kind of the, the government's had some kind of interest in them. Like um, the Loft guys, for instance, are notorious for having overlaps with government. I mean, you know, Mudge works for the government now, which is I still can't believe sometimes. Um, but they, they've, when, when you start getting recognition for something, uh, to a certain level, especially for something that's kind of novel, the way that, that the InfoSec community over the years has kind of built up into the government takes interest in you. And, um, because the, the laws that govern what we do are so sticky and vague sometimes, um, the government may take interest in you, even though they don't really have a reason to. So um, there, with all of these different identities, these different people that have helped get us to where we are today, um, I'm interested in finding out what the government, what interest the government has had in, you know, in us, in all of us collectively over the years. And um, maybe by looking at the past, we can determine at least to some degree, what their interests might be in the future. Um, it's hard to guess, of course, but there there are a lot of stories to tell in these files, and that's that's really what I'm that's what I'm after. I'm kind of after uh, liberating that information and making it you know stories that we can all kind of know and tell each other going forward, as long as people are okay with that. That's awesome. Um, so what sorts of things have uh, you uncovered with this project? So we've uh, the first thing that we that we got that's probably worth talking about is the documentation on the wankworm. And that's the one that we've we've been talking the most about because it's uh, the most substantial thing that we've had released so far. Um, so we we did like a, a crowdfund for the project uh, about a month ago, I guess. And raised uh, a few thousand dollars, which th you know, thanks to all of the the crowdfunders, because that um, seems like a lot of money, and it really is. But there's a, a cost associated with releasing this information. Um, so the wankworm stuff uh, came from a FOIA that I put in 
um, to, to NASA to just figure out like what, how they dealt with this uh, when it occurred. And if you're not familiar with this, this is like a very, this is a very early uh, worm variant that hit the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. And um, it caused a lot of problems because this is like the government wasn't used to dealing with this kind of thing. So this is like the first real worm that uh, that a major government agency really had to deal with. Um, uh, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't security related in any way. Um, but so there, there is a, um, I wrote a little vignette about this on Mark Rock if you're interested. Uh, but the, the, what, what, what NASA gave me were, was a slideshow of um, like their response effort to the wankworm. And uh, it's, it casts a lot of light on exactly what their response to it was. And uh, that, that's the kind of insight you don't really get from the outside, right? Like a lot of people know the story of the wankworm and it's like, it's no mystery that it occurred and the details, a lot of the de details are known. But what's not really uh, publicized or what's not really known by the community is what the what the government saw, because that's a whole different side of the story. So um, the information that's contained in the in the slideshow, it's there's not much there uh, in terms of content, but the the gravity of what's in there is actually really interesting. Because um, if you're if you're familiar with it, like they they originally traced it through, uh, they thought that they thought it was. Uh, the origin was in France and ended up being in Australia. So like you can kind of see where, where they were at when these slides were produced by. What's interesting with Wang. Sorry, go Sorry. ahead. I, I just think what's, what's interesting. So for anyone who, who isn't quite familiar with the story, Wang being uh, worms against nuclear killers is the acronym. And so the, the motivation behind or the seeming motivation, um, I guess, um, behind it was like a very early instance of some form of hacktivism. So uh, I guess that would, would set, a, you know, set a bit of a precedent, a bit of a landscape for uh, like, there'd been, being such an early worm, there wasn't this kind of, um, I guess, uh, direction pointed towards the government before in, in this, on this platform. So I guess that's, Supposedly, I guess that's going to be what's the interesting thing to find out, right? Like, how did they, how did the government feel um, about what the public had taken action against them of their, you know, nuclear programs? Right. Yeah, and that's and that's ultimately what what's really interesting about doing FOIA work on this particular issue is that there there are journalists who do Freedom of Information Act requests about things that happened recently. Um, uh, so like the, the one example we were talking about in the, in the break was that I, you know, today I just put in a FOIA request for the, the thing we talked about in the news segment, which is the, uh, JPL hack of the Raspberry Pi. So I'm hoping to get something back on that, but that's like modern journalism. Um, what we're trying to do with the, with the hacking history project is to dig more into the past and get the stories that people have forgotten about. Like Wank was, uh, a done deal, you know? I think most people assume there wasn't much else there, but with this with this FOIA, um, we might have discovered something kind of interesting here, which was this may have been we don't know for sure, but and we can speculate that this may have been the first time that the because you know judging from what they say in the slides, um, NASA passed this case over to FBI to do some investigation, 
And uh, there was always some speculation that Julian Assange was involved in this. I don't know that I believe that, but if he was, then that would have been one of the first times that the FBI was actually looking into him was way back in the 80s. Yeah, so the Australian Federal Police were also involved with that. Um, and that you can read about more in the book, The Underground, which is uh, the whole, um, that period of time, the wank worm, that kind of stuff is, is covered in that book. So interesting. Very interesting. Now, I'm curious, is there any pushback um, from people either in government or in the hacker community towards your project? Because if you are trying to uncover something and maybe get some more information about things that might have been sealed um, or just forgotten about, you know, if people are worried about something coming up and it's correlated with yeah. like something they do now, um, anything like that? Yeah. So there's always pushback with the government. That's just the nature of doing the work. Um, the, the hacking community has been amazing. Um, I actually didn't expect to get as much support for this as I've had. And the amount of interest that people have had has been like really overwhelming. Um, I haven't heard anything really negative. Maybe people are saying things and I'm just not listening, but, um, yeah, I, I, I've tried to be sensitive to some of these stories because, you know, I've, we have, Freedom of Information Act requests on people um, who, not necessarily people specifically, but on, on different projects where we might touch on uh, members of our community who aren't with us anymore. And um, I try to be sensitive to those stories for in particular, the people who can't really, you know, give us, give us consent to say like, you know, I'm cool talking about this. Um, but for the people who we can ask, uh, before we would publish anything uh, or put anything into print, um, I would I would you know be sensitive to to asking people how they feel about it directly if if I can get a hold of them. Um, it's it's definitely an important a thing that's important to me. So uh, we have a question from the chat as well. Um, in Twitch chat, uh, do you have a template for the FOIA requests that you tend to use commonly? Oh yeah, so that's so that's a great question. Um, the, the site that I mentioned before on Muckrock is they, they kind of have a template that you fill in. Um, the, they have a full staff who can help you um, uh, formulate what you need to ask and how you need to ask it. But they do have a template that you just kind of like put all of your, um, your questions into. Uh, there are FOIA templates if you decide not to use Muckrock as a service. Um, if you want to just like make a form email and send it to somebody, those, yeah, those exist. There, there are tons of those out there and, and it doesn't have to be complicated either. You know, like I can, I can look at my, my JPL one is basically just like, I'm looking for, um, any written memorandums or, uh, audiovisual recordings that are related to, uh, Raspberry Pi, um, exploitation or compromise and then sometimes what you do is you put like a between the years of uh, time bounding on something, especially if your topic is kind of vague. In that case, I don't I don't really have to do that because it's a very specific issue. But if you wanted to know about like um, all of the instances of a specific word that have been used, like there. So here's one that's interesting. Uh, one of the people that I'm working with just put in a. Um, I'm working with uh, somebody who does voice all the all the time named Emma Best. So she put in a request with like um, every permutation of the word fuck that you can think of 
and submitted it to a number of different agencies. Uh, so like, you know, um, uh, I don't know, every, every different way that you could possibly use the word fuck, I guess, <laughs> just to, just to see like what comes out of it. And it, you may not get a whole lot that's terribly interesting, but you might actually get some that actually like give you a trail to something else. That's the kind of the fun part. That's interesting. I think, uh, so when it comes to, this has made me think of this, um, when it comes to like redacted documents, like is, is there cases where you just get a document that's black and you go like, Oh, the only word that wasn't highlighted was that wasn't, uh, redacted was fuck. Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's all kinds of like really weird things that you get back. Sometimes you just get images. Um, sometimes you get like totally blank pages. Sometimes you get things that have just been redacted past anything that's recognizable. Um, depending on how old it is, you can challenge that. You can really, you can challenge the integrity of anything that you get back. So even if you get like a, a Glomar response, which is the, the standard form, you know, like uh, I can't confirm or deny um, the existence of these files, you can, you can even appeal the integrity of that if you think that they're being, um, if they're being tough with you. The, the thing is that generally they, if they're giving you a Glomar response, they're giving it to you because they know that the only other option that you have is to sue them. Um, but that's like, that's a whole different level of Freedom of Information Act hardball that I have not engaged in. But, you know, my affiliates have, have done a lot more than, of that than I have. So uh, there's a number that pops into my brain from like TVs or maybe news, I'm not sure like 50 years like certain documents are locked for like 50 years is that is that like actually a thing or can uh, you just go freedom of information anything no it is um the the term of limitation for um top secret documents is 30 years so without like a without a, a verified um and verified is not really a technical term without without a um a national security exemption you can't he, agencies are not supposed to keep information top labeled it top secret for longer than 30 years, which is, I'm glad that you asked the question because that gets to what I was talking about earlier with the sweet spot. So some of this stuff that might be um, classified would fall into that, like if I'm doing a FOIA in, into the 80s or 90s, um, which is kind of like the golden era of the, the wild west era of the internet. Um, you can do a FOIA request for stuff that was going on back then today and government agencies are much more apt to give it to you because so much time has passed and they, they consider it history. So they release it to you and you can find stuff that nobody knew about before in the public space. Um, and that, that again is really what this project is all about is finding that stuff. Cool. So I should be able to find out stuff about the aliens. Yes, the aliens are, are go way back. <laughs> I'm sure that there's been, uh, I, I would say if I had to guess, that's probably the, 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 the Roswell is potentially the most foia thing ever. Oh my God, for sure. Yeah, They're, I can't even imagine. The, the poor FOIA people, they get that stuff all the time, right? Like it's always like, uh, what do you know about aliens and JFK conspiracies and all kinds of stuff, I'm sure. Oh, right. JFKs, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me yeah. JFK's brain. Yeah, everyone wants to know. The Apollo 11 mission, I'm sure, is also. 
yeah, I'm, I'm sure that NASA gets a ton of stuff about like, you know, prove it. Well, they yeah. also have the, they also have the GitHub repo with a, a pretty solid documents about what each file means, which is awesome. Yeah, there's there's a, and that's another great thing about MuckRock is that they, there are enough um, different people that are writing for that site now that there's all kinds of different uh, tips that they can give you and like understanding all of the different exemption codes. It's kind of like an art in and of itself. I suppose it's kind of uh, intentionally made complex to protect certain things and, and gatekeep in a way, but also it has to exist, right? So they, they kind of build their framework around that idea. Well, yeah, and that's that's kind of funny that you would bring that up because there there are some things about the FOIA process that are just mysterious and kind of, yeah, obviously built to be an obstacle to researchers. So, like, the one thing that I worked on before was um, I, I got a little bit of attention for building uh, this, like, really, really rough uh, cryptonym finder. So the idea was that, like, it was it was programmed... It was a program to, it was a very simple bash program that did like some really, some really, or Python, some really gross like um, uh, NLP, some natural language processing against a, a text file that you would put into it and just look for um, uh, different words that might be cryptonyms. So the idea being that like in a, in a, in a, an uncla in, in a declassified document, there may be words that have been used. Um, uh, cryptonyms that have been used to describe projects that we didn't know about until a document was released. And that's kind of like the treasure hunty aspect of this is that uh, CIA has got a thing on their site called the Crust Database that's like full of, of decades of declassified CIA information. And it's really, really interesting to look through there, um, but it's like keyword searchable and we know that they have better technology than that, but everything that's on there is keyword searchable. So if you found a document that you're interested in and downloaded it, then you get like a flat PDF and that's not helpful to anyone. So, and this, there again is like CIA could, could be giving us PDF files that, that have been uh, run through OCR, like that, that's not a huge energy expenditure on their part, but the fact that they're giving us a PDF that has not had any kind of processing done on it is like, it's an obvious kind of like, okay guys type of thing that, you know, we, the public has to deal with. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a tactic. Um, it was used by the similar tactic was used by like the, the phone book service uh, in Australia to prevent reverse lookups. Like they just send you an image. Yeah numbers you search for how annoying like you know it's not a, it's they'll give it to you but they don't want you to search it like, yeah they don't want you know they don't want you to uh index it yeah well the trick is that you just put it all on google drive and it will do all the ocr for you so <laughs> pro tip with the that's a good one with the foia stuff do you feel like you spend a lot of time doing the the old crossword puzzle tactic of of taking a, a keyword from one document that you received and, and making a request with with that keyword. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a common tactic. So I did that one with the with the wankworm um, release because like this is a big deal to them. Um, this was this is a big incident to NASA that like this touched a lot of their systems. And actually uh, 
there's there's enough information. I, I haven't found anything publicly, so I'm, I don't want to sound like stupid when I say this. But looking through the um, through the stuff that was just released uh, based on the FOIA that I put in, it says it was a two phased attack. So there were two parts to this attack, and um, it, it it kind of implies that there was like the that the worm got updated in the middle of it. So this to NASA was an unprecedented level of, uh, this is an unprecedented breach on their part. So the fact that they would release like four pages to me indicated uh, that said to me that I was doing something wrong. So I kind of looked through here to find out if there was something that, that I had missed. And um, yeah, to, to speak directly to your question, the thing I missed was that I didn't do a request for space physics analysis network. Uh, worm incident, which is what the uh, couple of the slides are, are marked with. So they called this internally, they called it span worm incident. So I put in another FOIA request for span worm incident. Wouldn't you know, it's taking like so much longer to get a, an actual response back on that FOIA rather than just the original one where they released four pages to me. Uh, I was curious, how much like does it cost to like do one of these uh, FOIA requests in like in general? So so the process is free uh, to to ask the question, but that's the trick. So the agencies are obligated to uh, provide a certain amount of work hours um, doing searching for you, and also a certain amount of pages uh, in response. So another kind of tactic that's used is they will just jam a bunch of shit in there when you ask them for something and they'll be like, oh, you wanted to know about, you know, the word um, hippopotamus or whatever. Well, we have like 80 million pages of responsive text on this. Um, this is a really bad example, uh, but th they, they end up giving you like way more information than you know is relevant to your search so that they can drive the cost up and make it prohibitive to you and to them to provide that. Like there, there are all kinds of um, reasonable obligations that they have to meet, but anything outside that box they have to charge for, which is why we had to do crowdfunding because some of these releases um, ended up being really expensive even after we tried to narrow it down. I mean, is there a point where they can just go, we've given you a hundred pages, even if it's all, you know, debut random we've given you 100 pages surely that's enough or do they is there like an obligation to give you everything um that is a good question that i don't really know how to answer um okay. they're 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 supposed to give you everything that they don't have an exemption for that fits within your request which which is why you have to time bound it sometimes so if you say like give me everything for the last uh 60 years of your agency's existence First of all, it's going to take a long time. And second, you're probably going to end up with way more stuff that, than is relevant to your request. So if you limit it, um, you should get better results. It's like uh, figuring out how to do the best Google Docs. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's definitely something you could, you could ask about. Um, so what are, I guess, if you can really answer this, what are some of the weirdest things or shocking things that you have found in um, your searches? Uh, weirdest things? I, I don't know about weird things. So for the Hacking History Project, I haven't 
found a whole lot that's weird because we're still waiting for a lot of the FOIAs to come back. Um, but there's all kinds of like really odd things that come through Freedom of Information Act requests, like um, mysterious pictures of, of people who have had the faces blurred out. Um, that happens a lot in like very old documents. Um, yeah, that's there's there's all kinds of like weird hand drawn pictures and stuff like that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense out of context, and then anything that's redacted that comes back that's like kind of nonsensical, um, that stuff gets really confusing. Um, but then there's also just a lot of like uh, like kind of out of context historical information that you kind of have to piece together. Like there's one thing I'm I'm thinking of. And this is like, this is going to be really vague information because it's really vaguely known, I think. But there was like uh, some discussion uh, in CIA documents about some kind of like uh, flash that was seen over Russia at some point back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. I, and nobody, still nobody knows what that was, if it was a nuclear test or something else. But like that, that's the kind of thing you find in FOIA documents that you just kind of go like, I have more questions about this but they didn't give me anything the last time I asked. So I, all I can do is ask again. Is there a chance though that uh, it'll be processed by somebody different and that you get a different response or is it kind of like a, you're going to get what you're going to get every time? You're more or less, you're going to get what you're going to get each time. Um, they're, they're, they're also kind of like, I, I think there, there is a human element that comes into it, right? Like, it's at the end of the day, it's all stuff that's being processed by people. So like uh, one of the requests that I did for, for the woo woo group, um, which if you're not familiar is spelled W zero zero W zero zero. So when I put the request in, like this gets sent to, to somebody who works at FBI. And so I'm asking FBI for information on this old hacker, older hacking group. And um, so they come back and they say, Oh, we don't we don't have anything on on woo woo with w o o w o o, and then I'm like, okay, guys, like you need to actually put it in the way that they did it because that's probably what's in your documentation. So that like little human element does kind of sneak in from time to time. That's funny. Like huh. like if you think about the members of woo woo moving on into their uh, larger endeavors and businesses that they've built out of that group, the FBI definitely has information uh on woo -woo. oh yeah it's so, a very well known yeah <laughs> and and that's what that's why you know as a FOIA researcher i have to go like come on there's i know that you have something on these guys like they're not unknowns i know that you're interested in them at some point so what did i do wrong or what did you do wrong yeah well i mean you know let's you could safely assume that many of them have worked with agencies to in various capacities you know what i mean you know it's a very old group that had a, a lot of talented people that, you know, moved on in life. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no reason they wouldn't have that they wouldn't have documents. So it's there's there's a lot of revision that goes into it sometimes. And it's all just a matter of like putting it into government speak, which is sometimes harder said than done. Are you ever uh, do you ever have to worry about like one, one of the things that I would be concerned about if I received, you know, a heavily redacted document is that it could be redacted in such a way that it's misleading. Is that something you think happens or is that something that you don't even, you know, you don't concern yourself with? 
I don't worry about that too much um, because like things that are out of context are usually pretty obviously out of context. And so you can't draw, like, unless you got a page back that was like, you know, uh, JFK redacted, redacted, killed by redacted, redacted. Um, you know, there, if, if like a name of an ident that everyone should know about is redacted, that's kind of weird, but like stuff that's, that's redacted beyond reason is usually pretty obviously like you, you're not going to draw too much conclusion from that. And do you ever see anything that, you know, looks kind of weird or smells funky? Uh, not that often. Uh, the things that that you that you kind of stop and and think about are the ones where they don't really want to answer. Um, so if you're getting a, a Glomar response in something that like you really they should be answering, that kind of makes you wonder what's going on. So like the one that comes to mind there is um, I don't know if you all are familiar with this thing that happened about uh, two years ago. It's called the Sunspot Observatory. Do you, does anyone know about that? No. No? Okay. So so like two years ago, there was this place uh, that the U.S. government ran called the Sunspot Observatory. And they, they closed down this, like very abruptly closed down this research facility that apparently was doing some kind of research on, on sunspots. Um, so abruptly closed this observatory down. And then later on, they said something to the effect of like, and the, the locals are saying, uh, we're seeing helicopters and like uh, the FBI came in and seized a bunch of stuff and then they didn't tell anybody what was going on. So we're not really sure what's happening here. So then the FBI weeks later says, oh, well, this is like a child porn investigation and we're taking all of the stuff and that's all we're going to say about it. So I did a Freedom of Information Act request on, on that situation just to figure out like, something doesn't seem right about that, right? Like it would make sense that they would seize machines, but why would they close the entire, uh, the entire observatory for weeks based on that? So they, and then what I ended up getting back is like there's pending litigation. So I didn't get any documentation back on that, but this is the kind of thing that like government agencies should be a little bit more uh, conscious of because there are a lot of conspiracy theories about that one particular item and giving us a Glomar response on it instead of something that's more reasonable is like not really a great way to run an operation. I mean, that's, uh, that's a very interesting thing that they use, like, because I find that, um, I guess if you see a lot of politicians and stuff talking about cybersecurity, today you know they'll often mention things like terrorism uh child porn investigations and you know drug dealing on the internet like darknet stuff like and and i think they're very easy blanket terms to just be like like blanket reasoning just go like oh this is a investigation relating to something horrible um can't do anything you know yeah that it does give them very easy cover to say something like that just to kind of make people go like oh geez okay well i shouldn't have asked that then yeah. And I mean, maybe I'm not saying that that's every case. I'm sure there's plenty of legitimate times that happens, but you know, it's, it is an easy thing. Yeah, for sure. So um, how can people who are listening here get involved in what you're doing? Um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're always interested in, in taking suggestions that people have about things that maybe we don't know about. Like uh, I've, I've had a lot of old 
uh, like OG folks who I spent my childhood years looking up to, like uh, Jesus, like Space Rogue and and Dildog and and Death Veggie, and all these people are like talking to me, and and it makes me feel really like weird to be uh, actually having discussions with pe- with these people. <laughs> On like a on, on on their terms and our terms as, as a community of people, uh, and and they're they've been amazing and very open about things um, that that they're interested in and just you know supportive. So um, we're always interested in hearing about about things that people want to know about because we're happy to do the FOIA work. Um, but but I'm always interested in just giving people the information they need so that they can do this on their own if they're interested. Like this is, this process is great because it's empowering to, to individual people. And this time is, there's not ever going to be a better time to be the kind of person that asks questions of the government than we are in right now. So if you want to get involved, definitely start today. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Something else that's interesting, I guess, uh, you know, from my perspective, the U.S. FOIA stuff. Uh, do you have to be a U.S. citizen to uh, to put in a request? Uh, I don't think so. Um, and and that is something that would, I guess, we didn't really say. But there there are Freedom of Information Act programs, and you know, in a lot of the Western Westernized countries, generally have got a program that's similar that that rolls over. So I know Australia has one, and the UK has one. Um, I don't think that you need to be a citizen of the country to ask the questions and get the answers. Um, but I'm, but I'm also not proclaiming to be an expert in, in foreign, uh, outside of the U S freedom of information act. To be perfectly uh, honest, like I, I had to Google to see if we had one, we do a freedom of information act 1982. It's kind of old. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that might be an interesting place to gather more information on the wank worm. Yes, um, absolutely. If they were involved, maybe maybe they know something. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. So, like, uh, can you give us like some links if someone were to want to donate or follow your work with that? Uh, where could we find that at? Uh, yeah, so we do have a project that's running on Muckrock. Um, we did a, a crowdfund um, that we, we actually hit the maximum amount of time, which is like 30 days that we could do on. Uh, crowdfunding for Muckrock. Um, we can try and open it up. I'm going to try and get that uh, time frame opened up a little bit so that people can donate, but I can definitely provide the link. Um, should I be in a chat right now to provide that, or can I just give that to you guys? Uh, people have been passing over. Okay. Sure. Any links you want, we'll, somebody will paste them in for you. Okay. The multiple chats that people are. All right. I'll watching. throw it in there now. Also, shout out to Joke One real quick. Hit us off. Um, XO. <laughs> okay, here we go. So I'll throw this in the chat right now. Um, so yeah, this is awesome. So this is the um, this is the page for your project on Mockrock. Yeah, and you can you can also see what we've released on there, and um, we also post what we funded. Uh, and how much it costs. So we like to be transparent about where people's money is going because I think it's shitty to take money and not tell people what we're doing with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is it's sick. Attendee requests, which is cool to see what you're looking at next. Yeah. 
yeah, but that's like, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine how much it really costs, but um, this, this is a totally volunteer project. We don't take personal, we don't take money out of what we're given to do anything except pay for the amount of files that we get back. So like, if you look at that page, we have, I'm just looking at what we we're up to. So like the lull set, set documents, for instance, are like 7,500 pages and that cost us $220, which, you know, that's, that's more than I would be able to fund out of my monthly budget. But it, since we were able to crowdfund it, we were able to fund the entirety of that uh, FBI case file. Somewhere in there, it'll tell you how long Sabu was a snitch for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that we have one in on Sabu. Um, we might. And if we do and we get responsive documents, I don't even want to imagine how many pages that's going to be. Like every IRC <laughs> log he's ever had, ever. Right. And that's, and that's another thing that you can do, like another trick that you can do to kind of limit how many pages you get back. is like, just exclude all of the chat log stuff, unless that's what you're interested in. Yeah. I think chat logs are, um, are quite interesting, specifically after you've sort of, um, you know, if you've got to know the parties, uh, when reading a chat log, you can kind of glean a little bit more than maybe what's in a, in a final Intel report. Right interesting but also you got to sit there and listen to somebody talk about what they had for lunch today right I'll sit there and read what they had for lunch today yeah well i'm gonna i know what i'm doing after this <laughs> are, you, are you gonna uh, send me a dm on what you had for lunch today or yeah yeah <laughs> then i'm gonna go for your request begin rsa private key <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. That's a very there there is so much like clever stuff that you could do a Freedom of Information Act on. Uh and there's there are a lot of really talented people that are working in this area. It's funny yeah, to be, see the kind of things people put FOIAs in for. That's actually a good point. Like the uh so when I was doing the the, the ECDSA key recovery stuff, obviously I came across um a bunch of curves that uh were NIST approved that other cryptographers have said, you know um this is a weak this is a weak curve like this is terrible why is this you know going forward um, i mean people say that to me all the time but it's not really national security related yeah it's just just interesting to see like you know who was who pushed it forward and whatever things that you can't get from uh unless you were there kind of thing maybe until i guess without putting in the request yeah well this has been awesome this has been very very enlightening and there's a lot of stuff to go over here this is really cool. Um, thanks. Yeah, so much I was, I was gonna, I was gonna ask your your listeners too, um, and I don't know if like they just want to throw it out there. We we were talking about maybe trying to set up some kind of like uh, transparency village at DefCon or something. Um, I don't know if there'd be interest for that, but if there is, like, we'd be happy to. The people I'm working with would be happy to put something together just to do outreach or whatever. I don't know how popular that would be. I mean, yeah, be, I think that'd be awesome. But definitely, I would put it out there on Twitter or something, and we can we can see what the interest is. But that's that kind of stuff is like it's something you don't really think about until you find something that interests you about it, and then it becomes very interesting. Right. So I think the more exposure that you you have, the more visibility, and the more people working on this, the more you know interesting stuff you might find about people that people that we might know <laughs> ourselves. Yeah. yeah, for sure. In in more ways than one. And and you are legally 
able to ask about yourself to any government agency and they have to provide that information unless of course they have a national security exemption for it there are there are a lot of rules but that is one that you can do yourself i wonder uh i wonder how effective it would be against like you know apt groups i mean they're obviously national security related but if there's like some loophole to maybe that uh threat intel companies are trying to track on their own that maybe they could borrow some from something else Somebody else. I think they usually hold that stuff back as operational knowledge. Well, we're going to FOIA request the hacker known as Thug Crowd. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So, um, yeah, thanks again for coming on. And um, we're about out of time here. Thanks to everybody for hanging out and watching. And um, thanks to Hexadecimate um, for coming and talking to us about everything. Um, yeah, does anybody have any final words before we get going? Well, I think in this case, uh, getting a lawyer is specifically important. They might be able to help you uh, get some things through. Lawyer up. <laughs> yeah, skip the first part. Just get a lawyer. Also, Thanks for having um, me on. I appreciate it. Of course. Oh, yeah. Um, and so is is Twitter the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, my DMs are open. So you can you can holler at me or you know harass me or whatever. That's fine, too. <laughs> I just love how Zero is just throwing Shodan dorks into the uh, chat always. Uh, <laughs> yes, you might have to recruit him for, uh, for <laughs> Dork Team 6 over here. Um, dork Team yeah, so 6. Everybody, uh, everybody here, um, if you guys don't remember from the beginning of the show, if you are interested in helping out with our IoT CTF, um, whether it be infrastructure, virtualization, or actually coding, um, bots and exploits, um, please hit us up on Twitter. Our DMs are open, so at ThugCrowd, um, if you want to get involved in that. That's our big project of, I guess, like the rest of the year probably until November, whatever the first Saturday in November is, is when we're doing it. Um, it's for charity, and it looks great on your resume to say that you built a botnet for the kids. So, uh, yeah, we will uh, <laughs> we'll see you then. All right, um, peace. Peace. Later.